Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm back. Yes, that's right. It's me. Uh, and I apologize again for taking time off, but I was doing something I thought was important. I was uh, joining my friend Dave Clark on his uh, coast-to-coast walk. I didn't do the whole coast-to-coast walk because obviously I can't do it in five days. It's beyond even my abilities, but I did walk 90 miles in the space of five days, which I thought was pretty good. Dave Clark, of course, uh, he was raising money for Parkinson's UK. It's a charity very close to my heart. Go to my Twitter account. uh, You'll find I have a Just Giving page. Or better yet, give it to him because Sky, which has the most wonderful owner in the world, of course, they are matching every pound he makes. Uh, one on a one-to-one basis. So if you give me money, it helps. But if you give him money, it helps even more. Anyway, we've got a podcast to record. And I am supremely dis- delighted to welcome back Stuart Robson for his first appearance this season. And in a week in which Arsenal actually played really oh, well. they did play well, didn't I'm they? I'm so looking forward to this. Also, as you know, we're all sad because Rory K. Smith has left us to move on to a better place, or a grayer place, the Grey Lady, in fact, the New York Times. So, of course, we have off-brand Rory. No, we can't, we're not going to call him off-brand Rory anymore. We have Ben Machel, who, of course, is the same shape and size as Rory. Maybe you're a little thinner, yes. Rory probably has better hair, though. And he, he went to a better university than you did, right? yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. And down the line, on his way back from uh, Holland, it's Ollie Kay. And we'll be talking to him uh, about uh, all these uh, Premier League clubs sending their promising youth players out on loan somewhere in the continent and elsewhere, indeed. But uh, we're going to start in North London at the Emirates. Stewart! <laughs> <laughs> All right, I read a piece by somebody on another paper. I'll tell you who it is. It's Daniel Taylor. We have no problems or hang-ups about this. And he basically made the point that this was, he called the sort of Wenger ball at his best. Mm. This was sort of, this is kind of when Arsene, everything works for Arsene Wenger, and they're fantastic to watch, and they rip teams to shred. It's not something that happens every week. If it did, they would have won more. But that was kind of breathtaking, wasn't it? It certainly was, because they got everything right in the game. The closing down was good. They uh, stopped Chelsea playing out from the back, so their organisation was quite good. And when they start to play their free-flowing counter-attacking football, when they dominate possession as well, they can cut anybody open. On their day, they're as good as any team in the Premier League, but they have too many off days, and that's why they haven't won titles before. But on on, on the game against Chelsea, they were magnificent. Ollie, is Stuart right? Is it a case just of sort of bottling this, this, this consistency? Bottling is, is a word that has been used uh, very often. Uh, about I meant it in the positive maybe, way. Maybe in a different context. But, yeah, it, it, is, it is precisely that. I mean, they, they have this sort of bizarre pattern to their seasons where, where you know, it seems to be... In, in the middle of the season, everything seems to be wonderful often, and then and then they just peter out towards the end, and, and it's, it happens every year. It's going to be very difficult for them to actually win the league this season. I, I think perhaps it's been um, up for grabs at times over the last 
few seasons, not just last season when um, not just last season when Leicester won it, but it, you know, this season is going to be very difficult because Manchester City looks so much better. And, and, and what Arsenal have got to do is, is not just improve on what they did last season, which wasn't good enough. They've got to improve on, on uh, you know, they, they, they've got to chase what is a moving target. And, and what you know, the encouraging thing on on Saturday was that was that they looked so hungry, so energetic, so dynamic really and, and, and that's um that is progress but they need to be doing it not just once a month or, or twice a month they, they need to be doing it a lot more often than not ben uh you're you're, you're kind of refreshing here because obviously <laughs> Stuart, ollie uh, and i no, live in football. a live in well no we live in a football bubble you know yeah. about football but you ideally have a slightly wider perspective oh yeah totally i mean watching arsenal the weekend it was it was back to the future you did have that feeling of kind of um you know, you're just moving your head like that, like that, like that, like that, and you're sort of half grinning. It felt like you were, and it's easy to say, it felt like it was sort of, you know, 10 years ago. But I guess the, the question that, us, not an Arsenal fan, that I would want to know is like, well, why, why are you turning it on now? This has always been what Arsenal have sort of talked up and what Wenger's always kind of wanted to, to serve. Why are they doing it now? Why wouldn't they doing it last but season? There's a good reason for that. Stuart's going to tell us. Because Arsenal, uh, and Arsene Wenger, his strength is that he allows players to play with freedom. He lets them express their, their flair. Uh, they, they, their training sessions are all about being good on the ball, being good in tight areas. The problem that Arsenal have is when things don't quite work out for them, they have no structure to go back to. That's why you see them play badly every so often. If they could get that little bit of structure to go with their flair and imagination, they'd be a top, top side. But they've never quite got the balance right. Why can't the structure be theoretically when things don't work? And maybe this is with Alexis Sanchez, of course, started today. In fact, I'm not sure. Has Giroud started yet this season? I don't think he has um, started again, no. Why can't the structure be, okay, well, we're not, it's not working for us. Why don't we just lump the ball to the big man and he holds uh, it up but, and gets fouled? But, but and it's, it's, it's not the structure in their attacking play. It's their structure in their defensive play. When they get played through and then they're all looking around, they're ne- not sure whether to close down, to drop off. And that's when they get played around. And that's when it looks as though they're a, a, an unbalanced side and a side that hasn't been coached particularly well. And it happens probably once every month, once every couple of months. And that's the problem. I got killed on this podcast uh, two, three weeks ago after Mustafi's first game for suggesting that the mustafi Koscielny tandem could be one of the top, or was one of the top three in the Premier League. People are like, oh, it's only been one game, which, you know, was kind of annoying because it's not like there's so many other super settled partnerships. Mm-hmm. But you've obviously, you've obviously seen Mustafi mm-hmm. for Germany and, 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 and Valencia and whatnot. Could this actually be a really good defensive partnership? And can you name three defensive centre-back part pairings that you like more? Just looking at their body of work and the traits of the players that you like more than Mustafi and Koscielny? Can no. you name three? No, I can't. Can you name any? Uh, probably not at the moment. For their ability, their attributes, Mustafi and Koscielny could be an excellent, excellent back two. The trouble is you could go and buy the best back four. If you're not doing enough work with them, and they don't work enough in training, they don't do enough work when they're going to drop off and get that understanding, which we've always talked about, Arrigo Sacchi getting at Milan all those years ago, and then George Graham doing at Arsenal. You can have the best back foot. If they're not on the same wavelength, you'll still have problems. And that's why Arsenal have still had problems over many, many years. Ollie, help me with this theme. How many centre-back pairings can you name that are better than those two? Well, we don't, we don't really know an awful lot about them as a partnership yet. We don't know yet whether no, it's going to work. No, but based on their individual attributes. Yeah, the, the, the attributes are, are great. They're two really good, really understated 
maybe in some ways less fashionable than than a lot of the um, central defenders that are, are exchanging money, or exchanging a big change for a lot of money these days. But they are they are both very good, solid defenders who do things, you know, no frills in some ways, but that sounds like faint praise. Ollie, they the are, one thing they haven't been tested with yet is that neither are magnificent in the air. So no, away no. from home against a team that have got a big striker and they get rond on and they keep getting balls into the box. Of course, you know he's he's a he's a determined defender in the air, but he's not got a great he's not a, a massive height. He's got quite good spring. Mustafi, I think you could say the same in the European Championship. He was caught out a couple of times and got beaten in the air. I think in uh, the the first game, and then maybe when he came on as a sub in another game. So that's the area they haven't been tested yet. Mm, but Saka obviously was very tall, and you would say he he he. he Tick that box, but I, I would say potentially. I mean, I, I'm not one of those who thinks Mertesack is some uh, donkey or joke or whatever. I think he's, I think he's been a very good player for Arsenal. But I, I could somehow Mustafi, despite being shorter, w- would instill me with just mm. as much confidence in the air and, and as well as being probably better in other areas. Another point I think worth making on, on Arsenal, which I find interesting, is obviously we, we, we touched upon Giroud. I know a lot of people don't like him. I had a long conversation during my long walk with this guy. He's a big Arsenal fan who kept insisting that if you don't have a 20-goal-a-season start uh, striker, then you're not going to win anything, blah, blah, blah. I pointed out to him that if Giroud played as many minutes as some, as some other strikers, then he would have 20 goals. And besides, there's, there's no real sort of, there may be correlation, but not causation or the other way around. But he spends a lot of money on Lucas Perez. Uh, he's still a Giroud. They're both fit. And yet he plays Alexis Sanchez up front. And, and Oli, we have a little graphic here that in his first 100 appearances, Alexis Sanchez has actually scored one fewer goal than that Thierry Henry guy. Is this something we should expect again, Sanchez up front? Do you like this? I do. I, I do like it uh, as an option. I don't think it's always worked, funny enough. But I, I, I thought when he first arrived that that was going to be his position and, and he was going to take over from Giroud. And a lot of the time it... It didn't work. It looked like they needed more of a focal point. But in that kind of game against a Chelsea team who were susceptible to the counter-attack and susceptible to being uh, harassed when in possession, uh, I think it worked really, really well. I think it worked a lot better than the Giroud option would have done in that particular match. And they need to be able to mix it up a bit. I think it's, to me, it's not always been with Arsenal about the quality of the players or, or the... Or the um, you know, lack of quality of players. I mean, people, you know, Giroud gets a hard time for people. But it's often been about the predictability of the approach and when Arsenal can mix it up a bit more and when they've got Walcott on the wing and Walcott, you know, moving inside and Sanchez buzzing around and, and Ozil doing what he does so well, it looks really, really good. And and, and yet there are times when, uh, with very similar personnel, it just looks all a bit too predictable. I wonder, Ollie, whether Arsene Wenger has had a look at Liverpool and the way yeah, they're playing yeah, without yeah. a main striker, and Firmino is playing as the as the furthest forward player, and they've got great rotation in the top four. Whether he's had a look at that, and they got destroyed by them uh, in the first game, and he's started to revert to Sanchez and his front, his three players in behind him doing exactly the same thing. You think Wenger takes his cues from Klopp? You always, as a manager, you're always looking at other teams. Do you think Wenger spent much of his career looking at other teams? Not really. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not really, but he made that on this occasion. I want to talk about uh, Chelsea. Ben, what what strikes me here is, first of all, anybody want to blame the manager? Uh, not for the performance, but what I'm going to say, the most disappointing thing for me, because I watch Juventus for, for every game for three years. I watched a lot of the Italian games when Conte was the manager. And I was telling people how they were going to play. Well, he's done no- none of the things that I thought he was going to do. 
You mean like you're talking about ball, like the tactical hocus pocus or the intensity? The, the intensity, the tactical about playing with three at the back, playing with two up front. The I could see every I almost knew where Juventus' next pass was going to be because you could right. tell they had such structure to their play and their philosophy of getting the ball into the front players with quality. And people will say, well, he perhaps he hasn't got the back three of Benucci, Chiellini, and and Barzelli. But when one of those was injured, he stuck with it, and Ogbonna came in as a as a as one of the three centre backs, or Caceres came in as one of the three. Three centre backs. They played with wing backs that were, were free flowing, and I was looking forward to seeing Chelsea do exactly the same as I'd seen Juventus do for three years, and Italy do for a couple of years under Conte. And he's done none of those things. Well, I think that might have something to do with the fact that I don't think he even had enough bodies to play a back five until mm. until Alonso and uh, and David Luiz came in. Uh, Ollie, are you are you disappointed? Is it his I'm, fault, or, or I'm, are there, are I'm there... not disappointed with him. I would say I'm disappointed by by what what's happening, and I, you know, just thinking about it and think about what we expected Chelsea to be uh, this season with Conte. I think you can you can go back to the fact that he arrived in mid July, and it's you know, maybe two weeks later than most people most managers would have started preseason. He was so wrapped up in in Italy. I mean, he's not exactly the type of guy who would um, who would do things uh, you know with. with by half measures, and I wonder whether, similar to when Van Hal came in late after the World Cup, I wonder whether having had that limited amount of time to make all his decisions, make his valuations, and as well get his ideas across, I, I wonder whether it just isn't enough time for, for a manager mm. who wants to be, who wants to do things so differently to what's gone before, to, to make those kind of changes. And to me, they are not looking anything like you would have expected them to, to look but they're also not they, they haven't really gone in that direction you know the, the defensive structure and so on they're not really playing with with great intensity and it's hard to see what they're doing it's almost like they've defaulted back to to, to what they were doing badly before which so, is again like the like, like the Moyes van Hal succession so i think that is is an issue but it's also an issue that they he spent all his time in, in august looking for certain central defenders and central defenders who could play in a back three and wasn't able to get any of them in and signed Louise obviously and I don't go along with the idea that Louise is, is um, the problem but I don't think he's the solution either. It's always a bad thing when as a punter or a viewer who has never played football to any standard you look at something like Cahill and actually empathise and think oh god I know exactly how that feels <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and, You've been the tall lanky kid who's been robbed by the, the, by, by, by the little nippy gang? Constantly Anyway let's move on to Old Trafford Manchester United and Leicester Oh look here's another familiar England debate Rooney dropped. Now, I haven't heard anybody, apart from Paul Ince and certain other people, who's made the case about why Rooney should have stayed in the side. I, like, I, I've actually, it's funny, uh, Craig Burley made this point uh, on, on my ESPN show where he was talking about how you this weird dichotomy. You had a whole bunch of ex-pros turned pundits arguing that, well, you can't drop Waza because he can ping a pass and blah, blah, blah. And then you had the media that seemed almost in lockstep. I, I, in fact, I can't, some media I don't read very often, but you didn't seem to have anybody, any journalist types, arguing that, yeah, no, you need to build this team around Wayne Rooney. I'm going to turn to you, Stuart, mm. because you can speak for all the expos out there, because, of course, you're very typical of the expo in your views, and you, know, you, you never kind of go against the grain or anything in anything you say. I'm assuming you don't have a problem with Rooney being dropped, so I'm going to spare you that question. Absolutely not. I mean, but did you get that impression that there are a lot? You might not name names here because no. otherwise, Paul Lintz might come around your house. But did you get the impression that 
there was almost like this sort of solidarity towards Rooney or or the sense or but but there is with ex-professional footballers for some reason for years Michael Owen should never have been near the England side for four or five years but every ex-pundit would or ex-player would say oh but he scored loads of goals and but he wasn't scoring loads of goals when he was playing at Newcastle but he was still getting in the the England side when he was at Manchester United he wasn't playing very well but he still kept in the England side because pundits were still sticking up for him there's no reason why Wayne Rooney should have been in Manchester United's team at the moment because he wasn't running beyond people, so he wasn't a threat in behind. When I've seen him play as a, as a second centre forward and he's got his back to goal, he's now not strong enough or quite quick enough to hold up the play. People keep nicking it off of him. If he plays in a central midfield role, he can ping balls, but then you've got the problem with him defensively. And one of the reasons that Manchester United got so badly outplayed by Manchester City is because Rooney didn't know whether he was meant to be pressing the ball or dropping off into midfield to, to match up with Manchester City. And he gets that wrong so many times. I've seen it when he's come to Arsenal on, on occasions, when he's played as the number 10, where he's, you know, he'll run around and sort of, if the ball's close to him and go and do some defensive work, but he's not consistent with his defensive work and it leaves Manchester United often outnumbered in midfield. Ollie, did, did you see the same dichotomy I saw where a lot of people in the media were calling, or a lot of journalists were calling for Rooney to be dropped? You felt like all the ex-pro punditocracy was kind of rallying around him, except for Stewart? Yeah, well, Gary Neville was on Sky. He, he said he he made the point that oh, it, was, it was an obvious decision to make and, and the right decision to make. And, yeah, no, but he, I, can I just say something? Gary Neville, yeah, Gary Neville I, well, I think we all love Gary Neville. Correct me if I'm wrong, and I haven't followed everything he said. But it's one thing to go and say it after it happens, mm. and unite and Mourinho's just won four one against the defending champions. Who was calling it for him? Was can we think of anybody who was calling for him to Me be dropped on before? a radio station the night before the game? Well, yeah, no, other than angry, shaven-headed people from Essex here. But no, I mean, if, if you, I mean, I'm sure there'll be there'll be fans saying, "Hang on, hang on, hang on." We've been saying this for yeah, I know for, fans for, have done for, it, for and, and it, but it seems I, to me that it's almost like the people who haven't played professional football were were sort of arguing this case, and the people who have. We're, we're saying, no, well, you know, you, you, you need to hang on to him. And I, I don't know. I mean, am I misreading this or was there? Well, this yeah. is something that I wanted to ask, ask, yeah. ask Stuart. You know, as, you know, as a former professional, obviously you're different to a lot of the punditocracy we're talking about. But um, is there just something innately conservative about a lot of ex-players? Is there something kind of just not wanting to see change? Because obviously the media, we like stories. Well, well, you know, we want yeah. to see Rooney drop because it'd be fun to see him drop. Because a lot of the pundits still probably want to, when they see Wayne Rooney, want to say hello to him and want to have a chat with him. And, and it's the same with ex-coaches and ex-managers. They all still want to be pally with each other. It's easy to criticise people that you're not going to see. But so, what, they don't want to be pally with Anthony Martial? No, probably not. No, <laughs> because they've never played with him, and you know he's somebody they don't really know. I always felt for, sorry for the South Korean left back at Tottenham. Every time there was a goal conceded, it was the South Korean left back's problem. You know, not not uh, not the other players that were playing that everybody knew. But, there, but there's, there, I, th I think there's also a thing with, with ex-player pundits where often you know maybe they're sort of looking at it slightly vicariously and, and you know reliving their own experiences, and they're very reluctant to say that a player is in decline. They're, they're very reluctant to say. You know, That's their job. You know, they, they, That's their job. You know, they, they, they've been on that downward slope before, and they can empathise, and they think, well, no, it's not. It's not as simple as as, as you being in decline. Rooney's been in decline for such a long time. People say, oh, he's been in decline for two or three years. Now. He hasn't. He's been, you know, he's been in decline for about six, seven, eight years. It's really obvious that to anybody. But I don't, I don't think that means he's been a. He is still a terrible. He's a terrible player by now. I think he's, he's certainly a player who, who should be in. Mourinho's and Sam Allardyce's thoughts, but but it's clear that he is in decline, and I think there is a 
a, a real um, hesitancy and, and wariness among a lot of ex-players to, to acknowledge that. And I think it's really slightly weird because it probably it would probably help in some ways if people do say, well, look, he's in decline, but... Rory Smith, that's another time we mentioned him, we wrote a piece about how um, maybe Rooney needs to sort of accept that his role has changed and he can still he can still contribute. Um, and I'm wondering, given that you know, Slatan is of a certain age, um, the other strikers at United, Martial or Rashford, have a slightly different skill set. I mean, maybe Rooney's skill set is closer to Ibrahimovic's than it is to Rashford's or Martial's. Is maybe his future as the guy who plays when Ibrahimovic doesn't play because... I know Ibrahimovic played a lot of games last season, but it's kind of unreasonable to expect him to make to start 50, 60 games, or maybe the the, the guy when you want to go two up top or, or or whatever. Is that a better role, or or is that an insult to Wayne Rooney? I don't see Wayne Rooney as a centre forward anymore because he can't. What do you see him as? I see him as a, a midfield player. I thought he had his best game for Manchester United last season against weaker opposition when he was playing as one of the three midfield players and his passing was excellent. He keeps switching the play, he'd find yeah. the right pass. So he's a guy who plays in midfield against bad teams who sit off you and he's got an hour on the ball. Yeah, uh, That's, that's where right. I see him. Ben, Mourinho. There's a theory going around that Mourinho, obviously, whatever whether you like him or not, he's not wedded to Wayne Rooney. He brought in his own people. He has his people who play the same position as Wayne Rooney does. Was this a case of him giving Rooney enough rope to hang himself? In other words, I start with Rooney, things go predictably uh, yeah. predict in, in this way, and then I can go and I can play Mata there or Mkhitaryan if I ever decide I like him again or Pogba or whatever, and then I can do what I want but first I have to go through this painful step because I don't want to come in here after what I've been through and have a situation where I have you know the England captain and the Paul Stratford gang we all saw what happened with Van Howe um, not that I'm suggesting that they had anything to do with uh, all the leaks about how evil Van Howe was of course not uh, I'm sure it wasn't them but could this have gone through the special one's mind yeah I think it definitely could have I mean now you put it like that you can sort of I, I can see that. It's, it seems almost like maybe a bit of a dance. You have to go through the motions of circle. Try and there, try and there. Do you take my point now? Can you see? It's almost. I was just thinking because we talked about this last the, the last time I was on about the idea of managing Wayne Rooney's decline, even making those allowances. Sort of saying, okay, we're well, not as good as he used to be, but maybe we could try you here, or maybe we could put you put you there. You know, a lot of other players wouldn't be afforded that. It's a bit like when your grand gets older, and you sort of have to kind of she. You have to sort of realise, make her realise that she can't do these things that she used to do. You try and make it easier for her, but there comes a point where you're like, you're just a bit too old. You can't go out to the pub by yourself like that anymore. United, I, I thought, played really well. I thought Mourinho was actually correct when he said that um, you know they scored all those goals on set pieces, but it was a result of the way they, the intensity with which they played and whatever else. Uh, they're maybe an issue. Nobody seems to remember Mr. Martial, who, you know, a year ago we were talking about, oh, look, they spent so much money on, oh, but he's brilliant, he's the best one, top five strikers in the world. There'll be time to get in to see how he manages that situation. So I bet I do want to talk a little bit about Leicester. Last year they had all these, you know, it seemed like Morgan and um, and uh, and Huth got to sort of every, every ball in the air. Uh, obviously you can see three pieces, three goals on set pieces and one of them to Pogba, who's Admittedly, very tall, but not exactly great in the air. Robbie Savage had it was on match of the day two last night. Yeah, that's it. Why no, did you start with the chuckle? No, well, <laughs> well, because I want to get your because what he said to me didn't make. Basically, he sort of suggested that it's the new rules about holding that 
they're not allowed to hold people. He showed us an example. They're fine de- defending last year, the West Ham game, where I thought they should have had five penalties called against them. And he says, this year they're not doing it, and they're not getting touched tight and all this stuff. You saw the goals. Is it is it as simple as sort of bad set-piece defending because, you know, Robert Huth can't get inside Slatan Ibrahimovic's shirt anymore? No, that's not the reason. The reason is that they lost concentration. There wasn't enough determination when the ball came in the box. You can forget all when people say about zonal marking and man-marking. Once the ball's in the air, man-marking goes out the window. Once the ball's kicked, man-marking goes out the window. It's you attacking the ball, you being first to it. It's in your vicinity. You go and win the ball. And at the moment, Leicester aren't doing that particularly well. Fuchs got beaten to the ball by, I think it was Pogba. Uh, you know, when Pogba runs across him. His starting position was wrong and then he didn't attack the ball as much as Pogba did. It's all about the determination and Leicester all around the field this season, without Kante as well, aren't defending well enough in the front areas, in midfield and at the back. The set plays are just one instance or one uh, sort of example of it. They're not defending as well as they did last year for whatever reason. Maybe they've gone a little bit soft. Maybe the players... They always had something to hold on to last year. They were top of the table and and we can hang on to this. Come on, another game, another game. They've had a poor start to the season in pre-season. They kept on losing. I think they've lost confidence and they've lost the sort of mentality that we will not be beaten. And and at the moment, they're not defending well all around the field. And last season, with Kente in midfield, they could afford just to play two in there. But with Amati and, and Drinkwater, now with, with Slimani playing up front with Vardy, they're going to be outnumbered in midfield. The same reason that Manchester City dominated Manchester United, Manchester United dominated Leicester. Yeah, Ollie, it seems to me that if you play Slimani up front with Vardy and, and you drop Okazaki, who, who ran like a lunatic last year, you're putting, and there's no Conte, you're putting a tremendous amount of strain on your midfield, uh, you know, especially if you keep the same wingers you already have. Is this something Claudio needs to wrap his head around? Well, when they signed him, it, it seemed like, you know, that was going to be an option for different types of games. And, and that guy who would sort of win balls in the air when they were playing against teams who defended deep against them. And we saw the, 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 um, the game against Burnley the, the, the previous week. And obviously there were a couple of goals on the counter-attack, but, but the balls into the box, that's where Slimani came to life. And, I can see why he represents such an upgrade from maybe Ochoa in, in that position. But I'm surprised that effectively, you know, that the, the formula that, that they had last season, which was Okazaki off of Vardy, I'm surprised that when they've lost the work rate of, of Kante already, the energy of Kante, that, that they would go to you know, more of a 4-4-2, really, and more of a two focal points in attack rather than um, Okazaki playing off him as he did before, but it's. Um, I, I think as Stuart says that you know they have lost. You know, they, they, they've lost a lot of work rate for, from that eleven, and, and the work rate was clearly a huge part of what they did. But I think there's also isn't there also something where gradually the, the, there has been an erosion of the sort of impregnable belief that they had last season, and they were you know there was something you know, there's that American phrase about people being in the zone well I've, I've never I've never seen any team being in the zone like Leicester were last season and then having had to adjust to a new season new expectation a couple of the best well Kante's gone and uh, changes to the team I just think they are no longer in the zone we're going to move on to our debate this week, which isn't really a debate, of course, but uh, it's a chance to talk about a uh, really, I thought, interesting piece that Ollie wrote in Monday's uh, uh, game. Uh, basically, Ollie, you traveled to uh, to Arnhem. Um, no, Enschede. Sorry, oh, sorry, Enschede, the former stomping ground of, uh, of Steve McLaren. Remember him? Mm. Where Twente played Vitesse Arnhem. 
And the interesting thing is obviously people have sort of sussed out. I'm not sure how I can say this without getting in trouble legally, but Vitesse are owned by uh, a man who is uh, perhaps friendly with the uh, Chelsea proprietor, Roman Abramovich, so much so that he sent at least 20 players uh, have gone there from uh, from Chelsea. And uh, at Twente, uh, there are uh, several Man City guys as well, including Bersant Salina, who you may remember some of his first team appearances last year. And Oli, can you explain what, what you were trying to do in going there and, uh, and some of the things you wanted to raise? Yeah, well, it, it was it was obviously uh, you know, for the reasons you've, you've mentioned, you know, that there are six players from those two teams at, at those two clubs, three from Man City at, um, at Twente, three from um, Chelsea at Vitesse. And I, I just thought it seemed like a, a really interesting situation, you know, a, a sort of anonymous, unremarkable midday, mid-table Dutch game in which sort of six of the um, bright lights of the much-vaunted academies of City and Chelsea were playing. So I went along and, and spoke to a lot of people. I spoke to the the, um, the technical director of, of Twente the, and I spoke to Lewis Baker, uh, England under-21 player who's, who's at Chelsea and who's gone on loads of Vitesse for the second successive season. And I, I have an instinctive distrust or disapproval of not so much the loans, but just the incredible stockpiling of of talent by those two by those two clubs, young talent, and the fact that there seems to be sort of no real pathway. And I wanted to real, really get a sense of what they were doing there, how they were doing there, whether there is any sort of light at the end of the tunnel, whether this is benefiting them or their clubs or or their loan clubs in, in any in any particular way. Okay, so I have I agree with Ollie on most things. This is one area where I. I, I disagree yeah. with him quite quite starkly. But Ali, I just want to, before we, we have a debate here with the guys, but I want to ask you a question about this because I know we have this idea of the youth academy producing players for the first team, and that's wonderful, and the best academies produce uh, the most youth players. But would you say that Barcelona and La Masia are one of the best youth academies in the world, if not the best? I would. Other than Sergio Roberto, who is... A midfielder now playing right back, and who I think mm. by now is like 23, 24 years old. Do you know the last player before him to be a regular at Barcelona was to crack the starting Busquets. 11? Yeah, Busquets. who's yeah. pushing 30. Mm. Is part of the argument that the reason Man City and, 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 and Top Club says that the game has just has changed and post Bosman with so much money flowing to the top, if you look at the very, very best teams, they just have so much talent that they almost become victims of, of their own success. That's why these people don't go into the first team, but hopefully they can become useful top-flight professionals. I, I, I totally recognise that, but my, my my point then is, well, why sign fifty of the best kids in, 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 age sixty, you know, eighteen to twenty-one? One of the reasons, what? one of the reasons, mm. Ollie, is because a lot of the scouts don't back their own judgment. And it happens, you know, at first team level, but it happens particularly at youth team level because they they want to make sure they don't miss out on these players. So instead of saying, there's the six best players in the country, we go and buy those six young best young players, because that's what most Man City and Chelsea do and Arsenal do. They don't bring their own players through. They buy them at 15, 16. So instead of saying, there's the best six, they say, well, there's the best best 50, and hopefully one or two of those might come through. So they don't back their own judgment in saying they're the best six. They, they, they sit on the fence with some of these players, and that's why they take so many. Chelsea in particular, Chelsea have won, I think it's five of the last seven FA Youth Cups. They've won the UEFA Youth League Twice. the last two seasons, despite having all of, you know, so many of their best young players on loan. They have got so many of the best young players in Europe. Certainly most of the best 
young players in England, and their careers don't progress. You could say, oh, well, what about Patrick Van Arnold? Van Arnold, he's a, he's a seller now, he's, he's having a career. Jeffrey Brumer, he's having a career. But so, I, mean, I, I would say a youth academy's responsibility is to try and get, it's not necessarily to make uh, players for their own first team, that's obviously the, the, the holy grail, but the, 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 the responsibility, the duty is to try to create careers, try to develop footballers. And what what clubs are doing, and, and Chelsea and, and Chelsea in particular are, are culprits of this is they're developing really good players up to 16 and then those players are just stagnating because there's but no... it also looks Ollie as though they don't trust in any player that hasn't played at the yeah, at, at, exactly. at the top flight football because you just you just yeah. mentioned uh, in your piece uh, Matic you know had to mm. go away from Chelsea to go to Benfica I think it was for him to be brought back mm. Kevin De Bruyne you know, he went. He wasn't good enough for Chelsea, or so they thought. They sold him to to. Well, um, De Bruyne is a slightly different case, though, because he wasn't a youth academy product, and also there was a personal yeah, issue with him and the manager. But he, but he had but, to go away, and he went to Wolfsburg, and then suddenly he's a top-flight player, and he gets bought, and he's probably the best player in the Premier League at the moment. Yeah. So, well, yeah, Ryan Bertrand's yeah. An, an, is another example, of course. I think he made his debut in a Champions mm. League final, no less. Ben, I'm not really comfortable with. People saying like, "Ooh, what you're doing is bad for football." I don't. I don't. I mean, these players who go to Chelsea or, or, or Manchester City, they get amazing high-end training. You can argue that maybe some of them get huge contracts early, and so they're not hungry enough, and blah blah blah. But I just don't know that since the big investments in the academy have happened, when sort of the first batch of people were 16-year-olds, sort of six or seven years ago, I don't know that we have enough of a, a of a sample that we can go and say. You know these players have been ruined. No, I, I, I know what you mean. I agree with Ollie in that a lot of how you feel about it is going to be instinctive. And when you look at the numbers, you know if you happen to say be prone to scouring Wikipedia for football um, tidbits, as I sometimes do, and you look at okay, who who do Man City or who do Chelsea have out on loan, and you see how many of it, how many people are. That some, there is a part of it that says I feel a bit, a bit creepy. Why? If you were a young, if you were a young player, a fourteen-year-old young player, and you were um, at West Bromwich Albion in their youth academy, yeah. and you were their number one player, and Chelsea came in for you at fifteen and said, you know, we're going to offer you a load of money and we're going to put you into our academy, what would be best for you? I know what I think would be best. Right. Izzy Brown should have stayed at West Bromwich Albion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where now mm-hmm. he could work under under Tony Pulis. Wow. That, that would have been fantastic for his but career. It'd been playing, Imagine his skill set perfectly. It's better than it is now. Is it? Yeah, he, he won't play for Chelsea. So what? It's not like Chelsea's the only football club in the world, but he can make out... But why, why do you think that... You, you obviously think that Chelsea, Arsenal, uh, Manchester United, Manchester City have the best academies. Who says I, that? I don't necessarily, I don't uh, necessarily who you said that. You just said high-end coaching. Who says it's high-end coaching? Who, who says that Arsenal's okay, academy right. is better coaching than Leicester's academy? Okay, I, I, don't, I don't say it. Because it's, it's not actually right. Okay, well, but then, listen... To, to go what they do, they buy the best players at 14. They spend right. fortunes and on getting them, the players. And they in. give them excellent facilities and they, they give them the opportunity... Excellent to, to, facilities don't make good players. Players. Excellent coaching makes good players. But that's fine. But then why doesn't everybody just keep playing for the village pub team until they're 21 and then they can all go and have trials at big clubs and we see who's good? I mean, I don't... I don't. You but know, no, but it, what, it, I'm, what I'm saying to you is that other clubs are developing them and then Manchester City, Chelsea and Arsenal are buying them at 15 years old. 
So the the development has taken place no, between I, eight and, I and fourteen. Listen, 15. I completely understand that. That, that. That's a little bit like that's a little bit like saying that you know if Eaton takes all the the, the cleverest kids in the country or the kids that they think are cleverest at fifteen, and then they come out and they all become important successful people, then. Well, is it Eaton or is it the, this this natural preselection? I I completely give you that, but there's no denying the fact that when they're at Eaton, they have access to high end educational opportunities, which might not uh, which might not exist elsewhere. Yeah, but then they send them on loan to a you know a series of failing academies. You know what I mean? It's not just that they stay so at that they Eaton. can experience the real world. So, yeah, but so, so which so which but do Eaton you want? ends at some point, right? It's not it's not like you can stay in an academy forever. But do you not feel that when 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 you look at the career path of someone I don't know, like Patrick Bamford, there's just a certain there's a slight sense of melancholy. You just see all the places they've knocked around. You know, they say, okay, I'm I'm on the books of Chelsea. I've been here, been here, been here, been here. You think is that is that what sort of identity? You know, I don't how, know. Do you feel correct me, Ollie. You know more about this because you know more about the lower divisions than I do. Didn't Patrick Bamford go somewhere in the in in the Championship and score a billion goals and have a really yeah, good well, season? Yeah, he did. He did very well on loan at Middlesbrough. He had he had. So, 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 so sorry. So, 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 so what's Middlesbrough like? Outer Mongolia is that like a, is that a turd of a football club and it doesn't matter? No, but it, but I mean, my problem with this, and you know, you, you talk about high end coaching and this kind of thing. There are players here. I mean, Matej Delatch, okay, he's a Bosnian Bosnian slash Croatian goalkeeper, signed for Chelsea in 2011. He's now on his ninth loan move, 24 years old. I'm not sure he's even had a day's training at Chelsea. Ulises Davila, Mexican midfielder, four years at Chelsea, four loans, now now playing back in Mexico. It's not just Chelsea who do this, but it's it, Chelsea are the extreme example. And if you look at those players, I mean, you, you accept that every player who's excellent at 16-17 isn't necessarily going to be a great player when, when he's 21. But there are so many top international youth prospects and English youth prospects and and local youth prospects have signed for for Chelsea in particular, and have seen their careers just stagnate between sixteen and and twenty one, and to the point where they're playing at a much lower level than you would have expected them to. You you accept that Patrick Bamford's level might be Championship, but when it's happening almost every time, you know there are so few players playing at Champions League level uh, when they've been among the best in Europe at, at sixteen seventeen. And I think they would have been, I, probably, hypothetically, I think probably most of them would have been better off not going to Chelsea. They you, might be poorer, but they might be at better clubs now. You know you know what I think, um, to do this properly, and, and I invite, maybe our bosses want to give us the resources to do this, or maybe somebody with, maybe some Bill Edgar type wants to, to, to get stuck into this. I think to really go and, and, and study this, I think, with, with a modicum of, 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 of rigor, we should go back and look at really what the hit rate is for the people we think are, are really good at, at 15 or 16. You know, we should go back and look at, you know, England schoolboy squads from the past and see how many of those people actually made it. If we assume that, for example, England, you know, whatever, under 16s are, are a group of the top 20 players in that age group, which may or may not be the case, but I, but, but it is, but, but I, I, no, no, and see, yeah. and, 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 you know, and go back in the day when they all were at different clubs, how many of the, those well, guys I, I, made it? I can give you an example. I was the England oh, did youth you, Did you do some youth coaching? Were, were, you an England, were you an England youth captain at some point? I was the England youth captain for two or three years, and most of the players uh, under John Cartwright would go on to play first-team football, and they were disappointed if they weren't in the first team 
by 17, right. 18. What percentage of the Premier of the top flight were uh, were foreign at the time? Not very many. Exactly. You know, th- at that time, they were picking the right players to go on and... T- can and I, can I point somebody else out, since everybody's all about, like, oh, they're going to get the about 16-year-olds? There was a guy, a very tall boy named Tammy Abraham, mm-hmm. who joined Chelsea in 2004 when, according to Wikipedia, he was um, seven years old. Uh, this dude is now on loan at a club called Bristol City, City. which I believe is somewhere. Is that in the? Is that in League One or the Championship? <laughs> that's in the Championship. That's in the Championship. Right? That's that's the second tier of English football. All right. So this this dude, who's 18 years old, has scored seven goals in his first nine appearances this season. Mm. Would you say that that's okay? I'll give you the other side of it. But next Ta- year, I want to Vitesse Arnhem and become. I saw him against Manchester United in the under 21 game, and he was brilliant against Manchester United's under 21. And the next Saturday. Uh, when when he could have played for Chelsea because they were short of a striker, they played Alex Pato up front. Chelsea did. Who Alex Pato is way way past his best. Tammy Abraham on that day against Manchester United okay, on his that... performance, he should have been in the first team. The next Wait, was was Mourinho still there or was it Hiddink? I think it was Hiddink. Okay, well I mean that's that's by the by. I, I think. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to ask: Is there another side to the you know the idea that uh, these clubs are stockpiling young players? Not letting other clubs have them because if if it's as you say that we're just trying to get as many you know taking a punt on quite a few developing them as best we can then you can say okay that might not be the best for them but it's not cynical if there's a sense of we're going to get them so that you know another you know so that Middlesbrough can't get them or that uh, you know uh, Everton can't get them then if there's any suggestion of that then I think you'd have to say that that's legitimately bad because you're not that's not their best interest you're just trying Why? To get, because because you you're, you're taking a young player on. So to put them out of circulation. Well, thank you, Mr. Corbyn. Maybe the government should go and decide where young players can go. And, and it's not, it shouldn't be they or their families who at 16 decide, no, you can't go here because they already have too many good young players. No, why, why don't you go and play? Well, 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 yeah, seriously. If, you, you, about you, this, if we're talking about whether this is a, you know, a good or bad thing, I'm saying if that was a, if there was a suggestion that was going on, then you can't say, oh, well, you know, fair enough, because we'll just let money talk every time. Well, it's not money. It's also opportunities. If you've got a gifted, if you have a gifted, you've reproduced, right you've yeah. got you've got a child right two boy or girl boy and a girl imagine your boy reaches 16 years old and that's imagine it's some sort of fantasy world where Leeds United become one of the biggest clubs in the world again and again thank you exactly and he goes to Leeds United at 16 because Leeds United are stockpiling young players yeah. and he gets there and there's 11 people who are better than he is because they've been stockpiling young players mm-hmm. and he signs a massive contract are you going to tell him yeah go ahead Ben Jr stay there and don't play for two years because that's going to do wonders for your careers. Or are you going to say, hey, Leeds, I want my kid to play football because he's 16 years old. And so can we get him somewhere else where he can actually get on the pitch? Well, isn't that a normal decision that somebody would make? At that stage, but I would suggest that you wouldn't go to, to Leeds. If they were stockpiling, you wouldn't go to Leeds United in the first place. You'd go to somewhere where you thought you had a chance to get in in the first place. Well, team. obviously you would. because Isn't, isn't we, the thing to do to them, just, if you're going to crunch the numbers, just look at, okay, we'll look at the players who are coming through into the Premier League who are young in English or young and developed in England and sort of say well what route have they taken how many of them have come from the Chelsea or Man City yeah. I think you'll find that when you do things like that you'll find that the vast majority have come from or not the vast majority but a big chunk have come from Manchester United some have come from Arsenal I mean the, the people have done these studies over yeah. time then on European level in the same way people say you know look, Barcelona stockpile youth players but then you know Barcelona and Real Madrid it's something like I think it's something close to 20% of the players in, in the Spanish First Division have spent Mar- time at Barcelona, Real Madrid. Is that necessarily a bad thing? Does it Has it hurt Spain internationally to the fact that the, the, Sp- the Spanish national side haven't won major trophies? 
Right, how about some quick hits? Liverpool romped to a 5-1 win over Hull City and everything is cloptastic. Ollie, 74% possession, 32 shots on goal. This is heavy metal football at its best. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> that sounds obviously similar to the statistics that they had when they lost at Burnley and were slaughtered for being uh, inept. I mean, dominating possession and creating those goal-scoring opportunities is, is great as long as you put them away. And in the last few games, they've been so clinical and so impressive in, in their forward play. They are playing really, really well. They've played really well five games out of six. But will they win the league? No, I don't think they will. Are they as good as Manchester City? I would be, um, I'd be very surprised if they were to win the league. They've got a good chance on the current form of making the top four, which is which would be a great season. I think we're all on the Klopp bandwagon, aren't we? Mm. Even Stewart. Yeah, he's done well. Would you swap one finger for, for Klopp? Of course. There you yes. go. <laughs> what a surprise. Manchester City make a 10 out of 10 in all competitions with a win at Swansea. We're sort of taking this for granted here, Ben, but um, have you been totally seduced by the pep? Yeah, completely. And, and it's ironic that I have been seduced because I think the thing that I, I like about him so much is that he's not pretending to have a love affair with Man City in the way that some other managers might pretend to be, you know. Um, no, you're talking mean, about Klopp, are you? You are? You're having a little go at Klopp? No, 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 I yes, love Klopp. I love, I'm seduced by Klopp. I'm, I'm, I'm easily seduced. But the, um, Clearly. It's just the fact that he's so clearly there to do a job. And there's something appealing about that, you know. It's almost like a, a, a highly qualified tradesman who you get in, and there's just something very nice. You kind of feel like you know where you stand, and it's also I just love the fact that it's not just what he's done with Sterling, but also what he's done with Hart. You know, he's yeah. not kind of piddling around; he's actually doing something. So yeah, totally he doesn't seduced. pretend to be your friend. He comes in, he does the job professionally. If over the three years, Pep also falls in love with me, uh, with you, with with Man City, great. But it's going to be natural, and he's not going to fake it. Exactly. Plenty of stories last week about how Francesco Guidolin needed to beat City to save his job, which um, I thought was kind of a stupid premise. Oh, yeah, yeah, here, go, go, go. You need to go and beat these guys. They're so much better than you. With Ryan Giggs uh, holding talks with the club last Wednesday, according to Alison Rudd, although, funnily enough, I also a report saying that Giggs denied it. So, I don't know. Stuart, does Guidolin deserve to go, and is Giggs an upgrade? I'm not sure Giggs would be an upgrade. Uh, Guidolin, the only thing I would say about Guidolin, I liked him when he was managing in, in Syria. I can't see an identity at Swansea at the moment. For four or five years, you could see exactly what style of football they were trying to play. They looked really good when they were counter-attacking. The two wide players, the centre they had an identity. Under Guidolin, I don't think they've got an identity, and that's a worry. Hong Ming Son scores twice and now has as many goals this year as he had last season. And uh, Spurs beat Middlesbrough 2-1. And guess what? They're up to second in the table. So there. Ollie, did Son get a bit of a raw deal last season with, with people criticising, saying, oh, how can he back up Harry Kane? Uh, and I'm also wondering, I mean, he can play up front. He's been playing a little deeper. But should they just make him Harry Kane's reserve uh, rather than this Janssen guy? Well, I, th- I think it's important that they signed Janssen a, a, a more of a specialist sense forward just to, to lighten the uh, lighten the burden in terms of goals and, and, and games because, as it's happened, Kane has got injured very quickly. But Son is one of these players who I never see play badly. I, I I know he he got a bit of criticism last season, but I, whenever I saw him, whenever I saw him live, he was he was really good. And maybe another like Lamella, who who needed to bed in a bit slowly, but the quality was always clear, and it's shown consistency now. No trouble as far as we know at the Olympic Stadium or the the, the London Stadium, as they so imaginatively call it, until they go and whore out their uh, uh, naming rights. Other than West Ham being atrocious and losing to Southampton, Ben, what's the problem? Do you want to delve into that? Do you think it's God punishing the pornographers? Mm-hmm. Or would you rather just 
Praise Southampton and be good, Ben. Uh, yeah, I mean, everyone praises Southampton. Southampton are good. Um, but in a way, I mean, it would be great if it was the stadium for West Ham because that would be something that I could you know, deal with. I could knock it down and build a new one and be good. I think again. it's the owners and Karen Brady instead. It's just really bad. I don't know. There's just bad vibes. You know, uh, you could say, oh, well, you know, they're defending terribly, not scoring, and the captain is saying that they're defending laughably and all the rest of it. But it's from the outside looking in, it's quite hard to put your finger on because it's not just what's on the pitch. I mean, there must be. Sort of, you get the sense that there's sort of some voodoo going on, but I, I wish I could tell you. Bournemouth upend Everton one nil, and somebody named Harry Archer, who I'd say somebody named Harry Archer, but I think we've got to know him and realize that he's actually a very reasonable player. I think a, a guy who cost him just five grand, mm-hmm. if Wikipedia is to be believed. Um, but Stuart, I'm guessing you'd rather talk about Jack Wilshire for obvious reasons. Is this the place for him to relaunch his career? Well, firstly, I'd like to talk about Harry Arto because I saw him as an eight-year-old playing for Charlton's oh, youth side. <laughs> yeah, my son also was playing for Charlton's youth team. And Who Harry was Arto, better, your son or, or Harry Arto's son? No, Harry Arto and my son played for the same Who was youth better side. at age eight? Oh, Harry Arto was a very, very good player. He was the best player in Even the Even though side. your son presumably has better football-playing genes than Harry Arto's son. Uh, Harry Arto's dad is probably like a... He's actually a taxi driver. Anyway... <laughs> But uh, I saw Harry Arto as a very young player, and he went through the route. He couldn't get in Charlton's first team. He then went to, to elsewhere, and then he went to Bournemouth. And there's a player that's now developed into a very, very good footballer. And I would never have said he'd have gone on to become a Premier League footballer. So he's improved since he's been at Bournemouth. As for Jack Wilshere, I think it's the right club for him. He'll play more often than not. He'll uh, be able to dominate in a, a second centre-forward position, a number 10 position, which suits him quite well. And I think he's playing under a manager that will make him more disciplined defensively than he was at Arsenal under Arsene Wenger. Gab, this is one for you actually. Um, there's obviously no column this week because of you. You were walking in the north of England but, um, for charity. For charity, can you still donate? Um, can still donate online. Is it on your Twitter page? Yes, it's pinned. But that notwithstanding, I hear it's now two games in a row without a win for Real Madrid, um, and Ronaldo doesn't seem too happy about it. He wasn't happy because he was substituted with uh, I think 18 minutes uh, left to go against Las Palmas. And uh, and he seemed to sort of throw a strop at Zidane on the bench. Uh, and obviously the next day Zidane said, no, everything's fine, nothing to see here. Ronaldo's mom went and tweeted <laughs> and said, chin up, lad, basically, except she did it in, in uh, Portuguese. It's a curious situation because Real Madrid are top of the league. They're ahead of Barcelona. They have a huge game coming up against Borussia Dortmund away, which actually matters because in the first Champions League game, um, they were... They were losing until two minutes from time at home to Sporting Lisbon. Uh, Zidane's got this tricky job of uh, uh, of trying to you know manage Ronaldo and Karim Benzema. Uh, he didn't really get much help from the signings in the summer, just Morata and Asensio coming in. He's rotating a little more. I think this is just one of those things where uh, Ronaldo's been substituted twice this season, which is as many times he was substituted all last year. And incidentally, last year, those two substitutions were the last two games before the Champions League final when they were arresting him. I think that's all it is. I think this is major mountain out of a molehill, but of course, Spanish media are having a field day with this. Right, that's all we've got time for today. Many, many, many thanks to my kind and excellent guests this week, Ben Machel, Stuart Robson, and on his way back from uh, um, from the beautiful country that uh, I like to call Holland, it's uh, Ollie K. Uh, Remember, it's just £12 for a 12-week trial. Just search The Times online. If you enjoyed Ollie talking about his trip to Holland as much as I did, and you haven't done so already, you can go online and uh, and read his piece. You can read lots of other things. You can read Henry Winter, a bit of Matthew Syed talking about, it's quite a touching piece this week, talking about uh, his relationship with uh, Joey Barton. 
and the gentleman from the Sporting uh, Chance Clinic who passed away a few years ago, Peter Kay, who has done a lot of really important work uh, with uh, with athletes. So you can press that subscribe button wherever you choose to download your podcast, and you can subscribe to our podcast. Uh, we're going to be back next week. Till next time, bye bye. Even on a budget, quality is non negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.